think male, male cats spray off and have a lot of Praise your Lord. Praise you. Lord. <laughs> I pray, Mr. Cole. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day and that uh, you've been with us as we walk through life together. You've been with us through the hard times and you've been with us through the good times. You're there when we have joy and you give us joy and you're 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 there and comforting us when we're, when we're sad and when things go wrong and uh, we just thank you that you're always there for us and we praise you we thank you that you love us so much that you would do what you've done for us and take take such uh, such horrendous torture to your body just for us when you didn't have to we praise you we thank you and we love you back and and we say Lord Come soon, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Oh, amen. Now, you all ready to get us some Bible? So, this is just two verses out of Hebrews, <laughs> but it's a lifetime of Sarah. And it's practical, it's uncomfortable, it's all kinds of things as well as fun. So, right off the bat, we have some translation difficulties with Hebrews 11, 11. And there was a time where this wouldn't even been an issue because most of us evangelicals were only reading out of one translation, but not so much anymore. Uh, English Standard has it, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now that's the English Standard Version. And the New King James, the New American Standard, and the King James pretty much follow this pattern of translation for Hebrews 11.11. Now, for something that's just Greek to me, which is the Greek verse. And, and so here you have, you know, pistis on zara. So here you have, you know, by faith Sarah... And then there's this word here, and then it says, power she received, okay, and then it goes on. So, that word right there, that word right there is untranslated in the English Standard, the New King James, the King James, the New American Standard. That word, stata, isn't in those versions. Well, the NIV picked it up, and they put it in their version, by faith Abraham, wait a minute, now we've got something else going on, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. I won't bore you with all the issues as to why this is complicated, but it involves the different Greek texts. But see there, that was barren. That's that word, stera. So, the English Standard, King James, New King James, leave, the, leave this little bit out, this other emphatic problem that even Sarah, who was barren, by faith, received power to conceive. 
Now, the NIV's angle is also taken up by the complete Jewish Bible, the New Century Version, and their New Revised Standard Version. And that take on this translation well, kind of alters the focus of the verse entirely. So, here are some modern, modern version conundrums of Hebrews 11.11. 11. First of all, because of the phrase katabolin spermatos, which again is Greek to me, <laughs> you can work out what spermatos is, katabolin is to throw, and um, it's usually applied to the male. So, the NIV and others completely change the subject of the verse. In other words, we, we started with Abraham's faith, and then Sarah just becomes incidental. You know, Abraham has faith even though Sarah's barren, and then she has a kid. So, the NIV's translation just changes the whole subject of the entire verse, from Sarah having faith to going, going on about Abraham's faith again. Then, what this translation does is it makes Sarah's conception unilateral. She bears because Abraham believes. She's barren, and then, you know, Abraham believes, so therefore now she's no longer barren. I, I think you can see some of the problems with that. Okay? And the truth is, is that fruit in a marriage is a matter of mutual faith. It's a matter of mutual faith. Now this is, this is why I said this is a practical lesson. It's an uncomfortable lesson. We have widows and widowers and uh, we have married people and single people. We have any married person in the room has had marriage problems. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about one of the iconic um, marriages in Scripture which is Abraham and Sarah. And if you think these people felt or thought differently, okay, maybe they thought a little differently, but felt differently? I'm not so sure. It's all a matter of how much social pressure applied to you can change the way you approach things. And there was a lot of social pressure against women back then if they didn't have children. A lot of social pressure against women if they didn't have children. Absolutely. I, uh, I've known women who are barren, and there's not any less social pressure in many instances, particularly if the woman wants to have children, yeah. and there's not a child. There's all kinds Ooh. of problems. Come so, on in, we're talking about you, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> hey, Sarah's here. Come in, come in and sit in here, please. Grandpa straightened up. Hi, baby. Hi. <laughs> I got a hug. So fruit in marriage is a matter of mutual faith. You said it's about your faith because it's Sarah's faith. That's the title of the day. Genesis 1, uh, verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them... Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, let me back up here. Whoa, where'd it go? There was one screen there. That one right there. Fruit in marriage is a matter of mutual faith. 
man and woman, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't say to Adam, dominate your wife and make her a baby machine. He didn't say that to the woman, entrap your husband and make him a father. He didn't say that. He blessed them. Can I brag on your mom? <laughs> I gotta brag on your mom. So, <clears throat> uh, Ben's mom is our office manager at work, and, and so they just they just had a new addition to the family. How old is, is Gigi now? Seven months. Seven months. And, and so that's the third child. Now your sister, Natalia, is? Fifteen. Fifteen years old. Okay? So, so there's been a 15-year stretch between kids. And his, his mom, Christina, is, is so chill. I mean, she, she really is. And, and, you know, and she gets all kinds of comments from she's like, you know, well, you had, your man, you had your boy, you had your girl, you know, this kind of stuff. And you know, now you're having a baby. It's been 15 years. And she just says, children are just a blessing. That's right. I mean, she just, you know, yay. So that just blesses They're a lot of work, but they're still a blessing. Yeah, yeah. Them. Be fruitful and multiply. Them, right? Jesus, uh, when asked about divorce, He said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Note it doesn't say, Therefore shall a man uh, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wives. <laughs> it doesn't say that. And when you when you put this together with with Genesis, this is this is God's wedding ceremony over the man and the woman. This is what he said to them when he presented the woman to the man and said, now you're one flesh. He said, this is, you know, going forward, again, they shall have children going forward. A man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer, what? Two. Two. They are one flesh. Who said this? God. God said this. Who reiterated it? Jesus reiterated it. It, God, he's the who's also God. Who's also God. So, if there is a man who is married and God is promising him children, remember, Genesis 5 says that he called them, male and female, he called them Adam. That was their name. Eve was the name he gave his wife after the fall. God named them Adam. That was their name. I'm Madam. I'm I'm Man Adam. She, she's she's Woman Adam. <laughs> that was her name, Adam. Okay. One flesh. One flesh. So if there's a man who is married, and God promises that man children, who is axiomatically included in that promise? The woman. The woman is. That's simple, right? Practical. That's the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In modern day, we, we've, we've had legal issues come up with regard to what is referred to as marital rape. This is not an instance of man giving the right, given the right to dominate his wife and get his due course. It is supposed to be a mutual thing. Neither party is to hold out on the other party because neither party owns themselves. They're one flesh. They're one flesh. And, and my intentional and accidental career as a lay marriage counselor, <laughs> I will claim right off the start, anybody who asks, I'm not a professional. Um, I can't tell you of the pain and turmoil from both sides. Women who haven't had children because their husbands are too enamored with their own bodies. Um, women who are distressed because their husbands won't touch them. Uh, men who are pressed out of measure because their wives have shut them off. Wives who have admitted that they control their husbands by cutting them off. Doesn't do what I like. Doesn't get that. All to the destruction of their own house. This is God's word, not mine. But if you want men's words, or even a woman's words, just do just do a quick um, uh, TED Talk search on YouTube for uh, a sexless marriage. One that I saw years ago is that she's a she's a psychologist. She's a uh, marriage counselor. She had the perfect life until she was 18 and found out her parents really weren't getting along and they got a divorce. And then she, she tells about all these counseling sessions um, in sex-starved marriages and, and what it causes. And, and really, a good portion of it, from her, the secular perspective, is everybody has misaligned libidos. To each man his own gift, it says later in this scripture. So, not everyone's drive is the same. So she told this one story, and I'm going by memory because it's been years, um, uh, of this woman who just had to be reminded. She didn't know. She, she just didn't even think about it. She had to be reminded she liked it. But she didn't know until it happened. One of those things, you know? Anyhow, um, the husband should give, his wife, give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's practical, it's clear, and it's easy. The one flesh gift from God helps keep Satan out of our lives. How good is God? How good? Here's this wonderful thing that I created for you to enjoy and your offset benefit in your marriage is it keeps the devil out. Um, it's amazing. When you're married. When you're married. When you're married. Now, personally, 
I think Abram knew this. I think Abram was fully aware of how the reproductive process worked. I mean, he had cattle, for goodness sake. You know? This wasn't a shocker to him. Go to 1 Peter. Chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise. I quoted verse 25 because verse 25 is the context of the likewise of 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So just like someone who has wandered off from Jesus, the wife should be subject to her husband. So that even if some do not obey the word, well, he's just not walking with the Lord. Well, he's just not. How could... I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from women. Um, as to reasons why they have a right to disrespect their husband because they're not walking with Jesus at whatever level they think he should walk with Jesus. I'm not walking with Jesus at whatever level I'm supposed to be. I'll tell you that right now. I thank God I have the wife I do. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. Remember, in Abraham, we learn about the obedience of faith. And now we're talking about Sarah's faith. And Scripture tells us that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Abraham, the guy that said, I know we have a good life here, let's move. Abraham, the guy that said, hey, we're in Egypt, you're pretty good looking, how about you pretend to be my sister? Can you believe that guy? What kind of a husband? What a jerk. <laughs> You know, because he's afraid they might kill him. It's okay if I get captured. It's okay if the Egyptians take me. What about my psychosis? Okay. I'll be your sister. That's bizarre, right? Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise... Again, this is not a uterine thing. It's not the guy dominating over the woman. It's not about that. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. 1 Corinthians 7 talked about you, you can be a part if you agree to, and only for a limited amount of time. God has given a... a um, a natural means of applying this. So, during a woman's cycle, or after giving birth, during a woman's cycle, no. After giving birth, if it's a, uh, I think it's, if it's a male, it's 40 days. If it's a female, it's 80 days of abstention. 
to honor the woman's vessel, to allow it to repair the way it should repair, to allow it to do the things it should... It, that's to walk in understanding. To understand, to, to walk in understanding, you know, um, wife asks the husband, how do you feel about that? I'm okay. Don't you want to talk about it? No, I'm good. But, no, I'm fine. That's a guy. The woman says, well, I need to talk about this. Okay. So if a guy's going to walk with his wife with understanding, you better sit down, hide the watch, hide the control, hide your phone, hide everything. Sit and listen. And don't say, you told me this yesterday, twice. Don't say that. <laughs> Which when you say that, you're not walking with understanding. You just opened up another can't work. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a major misunderstanding. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you the grace of life. Look at this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So your prayers won't be hindered. We're not, we're not simply talking about bearing fruit. We're not simply talking about physical pleasure. We're talking about prayers being answered. This hindered is a word used that means to cut in the road so you can't get through. A roadblock. So your prayers don't have a roadblock. Husbands and wives who get out of alignment, who, who you know, if the, if the wife tries to dominate, if the husband's, um, you, you get it, right? All, all, these, all these various ways where the husband's not living with understanding with his wife, not honoring his wife as the weaker vessel, where the wife is not um, submitting herself to her right. husband in, in view of the Lord, then prayers now have a roadblock. They have a roadblock. So just as when, when we don't understand that our bodies don't belong to each other, the devil gets in the middle, when we don't run our marriages the way they should, prayers get hindered. The prayer life of a married couple has unique power in the kingdom of God. God. Our Father is so good in how He reinforced this. And I am at times accused of overbanging this drum. And I know it's not simple. I mean, let me back that up. I know that at times this cannot be easy, but I can't think of simpler solutions that God gives. Matthew 18, truly, verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if any two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And we're all like, yeah, let's go to the prayer conference, spiritual warfare, let's do the praise and worship thing, we're all going to agree, we're going to topple Washington, D.C., it's all right. Did you pray with your wife this morning? What? <laughs> pray with who? Your wife. Why? Nah, she's not a prayer warrior. He's not an intercessor. <laughs> I don't know how much more agreement you can get than one flesh. Peter writes, as a shepherd under the shepherd Jesus Christ to his congregation, he says, look, live this way as Sarah and Abraham lived together so your prayers aren't hindered. 
Jesus says, look, if you bind it in heaven, it's bound on earth. If you two agree together, it's going to get done. We say, bye, honey, I'm going to the prayer meeting. <laughs> I'm going to go be spiritual. <laughs> and, and the answer to your prayer is sitting right there. Kingdom marriage. Yes, sir. I really don't want to derail, but I just think I came across this passage a while back, and um, I, I had obviously heard that verse used so many times and taught as a spiritual warfare, but really that teaching is really out of context because if you look at where this is situated, this is Jesus' passage on discipline in the church. Mm -hmm. So when he says about binding on earth and loosing, he's talking about in the church or loosing out of the church. Yes. He's talking about the execution of the Matthew 18 process. Mm -hmm. So I just think I just think it's an important observation that that verse has been, I, in my opinion, been misused. It it has it has been misinterpreted, if not misapplied. So to amplify on, on what you're saying in terms of the binding and loosening, the the idiom of binding and loosening <clears throat> is a Hebraic idiom that resonates with this idea that the local synagogues and congregations had authority to implement their own cultural rules. You know, like maybe maybe the synagogue in Capernaum could have a dress that was just above the ankle, but the one in Jerusalem had to be down to the foot to use it, you know. Maybe maybe in the church of Chesapeake we brush our teeth up and down, but the church in Richmond it's okay to brush back and forth. And so those regulations of the community I'll be even more practical so you know um, when this church was younger and the men were younger and we had some women and and young ladies who were older or younger uh, we we had I won't say modesty rules but we endeavored to help each other out to not be a distraction. So we wouldn't tell a young lady or a woman not to come to church if her skirt or shorts were above mid-thigh, but we would offer some sort of co covering so that they sat down, it wouldn't be a distraction to a bunch of virile men. Not to exonerate the men, but just to help out in the community. We have the authority as a community to do that. That's, that's how churches self-regulate. Under, under Jesus Christ. So yes, you're correct. This is this is about hey, this is we, we're either going to allow this or we're going to disallow this. You're either you're you're either in or you're out. Think about it. Think about it in the microcosm of the church of a household, though. Uh, a husband and wife agreeing, and if those two agree with regard to what's permissible or not permissible for the children, then you have a family that's a bit more aligned. If there's massive disagreement between the husband and the wife regarding what's permissible or, or not permissible for the children, you have bedlam in a household. Amen. Oh, I was just going to say, and if you take what Jesus is saying here about binding and loosing is it within the context of the church and you put it together what is written 
uh, by Paul about you know putting people out of the church and let them be to you anathema maranatha, meaning meaning it is a dead thing unto the coming of the Lord. Right. I mean, really, very strong implications for if you put somebody out of the church. What Jesus said, it really could possibly impact, impact that person's position of salvation. I don't know. That, that they're they're definitely they're they're standing at the judgment seat of Christ, not their ultimate eternal life. But their judgment before Christ, yes. Yeah, yeah. Anathema Maranatha is be cursed at Christ's coming. That's a scary thought. Yeah, right. Okay, so in, 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 in interpretation, Abel's correct. In interpretation, the context of this is the governance of the church and what's going on. In application, this is still a prayer application. If any two agree... It'll be done for my fathers in heaven. Right. All right. So who should be your strongest prayer partner if you're married? Your spouse. A kingdom marriage is one man, one woman. Anything else That's too man. <laughs> isn't a marriage. It's something, but it ain't a marriage. You, you can, you know, you can call. You 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 can you can call a tulip a rose doesn't make it a rose, okay? One man, one woman. I'm sorry, but this you're really touching some. I know. <laughs> I, 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 obviously, for my personal reasons, I've contemplated a lot the whole idea of the marriage and the church, and then and the, the legality of the court. And, and, and you know, when you when you're married in the church and you have all these witnesses and it's before God and you're making vows to one another and to God. In my understanding, I understand everything to be recorded in the books of heaven. Yeah. So to me, that's recorded in the books of heaven. Uh -huh. And I just came to this place where I'm like, well, filing a piece of paper in the court of man can't undo what's in the court of heaven, in my in my perception. Pardon me. And so to me, and this is why Jesus says, uh, except for adultery, if if they're separated, that they one another cause each other to commit adultery, because in the courts of heaven, the thing remains the one man, the one woman. As you know, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I think that seeing it from heaven's perspective is what you're doing, and I think it's really important for believers to understand because we know the divorce rate is as high among Christians as it is non-Christians. Yeah, the statistics are really scary. So. Let me remind you, this is a message on faith. It sounds like a message on very, uh, marriage, but it's a message on faith. Oh, sorry, no. But, but, but guess, guess what? They're connected. One man, one woman, one flesh, one mind, one prayer, one Lord. One Lord. What has, what has saved Heidi's and my marriage over the years um, from all the obstacles I've thrown at it has been the fact that we both acknowledge that there is a superior mediator between us both. It's not her opinion or my opinion. It's not what I want or what she wants. We're both submitted to the same Lord. And that's it. And so when I have to have a reminder of come to Jesus and she reminds me of come to Jesus... It's not, it's not me, oh, wife, you know, she really got my case to wipe, did I better straighten up? No. Oh, Jesus. 
see. It's a matter of faith. You understand? Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, even Sarah herself. I think the this is the Holloman Christian Standard Bible. So they translate the sterile part, but they also get, um, get the correct subject of these verses as well, in my opinion. By faith, even Sarah herself. The reason I, I say that this is about Sarah is because that even Sarah. You know, the, the, the subject changed. We know Abraham had faith, but now even Sarah received faith. He received power. By faith, even Sarah herself when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. She considered the one who promised was faithful, and therefore from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, he's 100 years old, <laughs> came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. You know, if Yes, ma'am. What's the translation again? That is the Holloman Christian Standard Bible. And I think that came on the scene maybe 10 years ago. I don't know all the history behind it, but they seem to proliferate these, these newer versions. <clears throat> so, this received power, okay? Sarah received power by faith. There are more than two words for receive in the New Testament. The two primary words are these words, decamai, and lambano. And when we think of receive, we, we generally think in the decamai way, which is a subjective passive receiving to have something offered to one. So the for those on audio, the graphic here is a hand with a present in it. You know, that's decamai. And lambano is an active receiving, a self-prompted taking. So, I've illustrated this at times where it's, you know, decomai is me dropping a Bible in your hand, lambano is you taking the Bible from my hand. Now, I offered it, but you took it. And the word in this Hebrews 11, 11 is lambano, it's not decomai. By faith, she took the power to conceive. I want to, this is the most dramatic use of this word in Scripture. So I did a little build-up here. This is Revelation 10, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. I, I don't want to throw you off here because it says it's an angel. Angel is a function. It's not a... It, Angel can be a function, it's messenger, it's not just a genus of being, okay? The Christophanies, which are a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, he appears as, quote, the angel of the Lord, unquote. I posit to you that any angel who is crowned with a rainbow, dressed in the Shekinah cloud, and has a face like the sun, ain't no ordinary angel. <laughs> this is none other. Than Jesus. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. There's another key as to who this is. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. So just imagine the awesomeness of this scene. John looks up, and this angel 
And, he, and later scripture tells us he has his, his right hand up in heaven, right? So he, he's, he's proclaiming dominion over the air, the land, and the sea. And when he speaks, it's like a roaring lion. And when he roars, the seven thunders, ba 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 boom, thunder. And we've got descriptions of the seraphim, you know, which are like fiery flying serpents that fly over the, over the throne and they sing forever, holy, 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 holy. We have descriptions of the cherubim, which are these awesome creatures with the six wings and the four heads and and the fiery wheels and the eyeballs everywhere and stuff that would come out of like a, um, a like a bizarre fantasy thing or if you're in the wrong state of mind a horror flick the thunders aren't described I can only imagine <laughs> I mean, it's like it's, write down what they look like forget it John you can't even write down what they said because he wants to he's like boom and God says no you don't get to write that down. Now, that is, that's the vision, right? This is what's going on. And then God, God says to John, the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, hey, go take that little book. Are you crazy? Did <laughs> 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 you see that guy? Take the book. Are you out of your mind? Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. Look at that. The Lord said, go take the scroll. And John goes up there and says, uh, uh, Mister, give me that scroll. He didn't, he didn't take it. <laughs> the angel says, Take it. Take it. Eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll. All these takings are the word lambano. I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Here's another uh, Revelation example of this. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. How was this done? By capitulation? They all just kind of gave up the ghost? Oh, oh I guess. Jesus can reign. <laughs> I don't think so. No. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, for You have taken your great power and begun to reign. He took it. He took it. Do you get it? Give me the book. Take it. The Lord says, take the book. Give me the book. No, 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 no. Take it. Take it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus told the apostles, 
but you will receive power after that, or when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That received is Lambano. So God says, God says, take it. And Christians forever today sit there and go, Oh God, give me. Oh God, I want the Holy Spirit. Oh God, more of you. Oh God, I'm desperate. Oh God, give me tongues. Oh God, give me prophecy. Oh God, oh God. And God says, Take it! Take it! Take it! That's the Bible. He's offered it. He's handing it out. But you've got to grab it. How do you grab it? I almost went into a preach there. Did you see that? Anyhow, how do you grab it? Galatians 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive, did you grab hold of, actively take the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you do it? Did you go to the right seminar, fast long enough, say the right prayers, go to the worship 24-7 thing, soak long enough in the song, cried out to God for years and years and years, and then it just happened because you checked all the marks off and you were holy and righteous? No. And you could never get it like that. It's impossible. You have to take it by faith. You have to account Him that promised faithful. Because it's as impossible for you to speak in a language you don't know as it is for a barren woman to have a child. It's as impossible for me to lay hands on the mute and have them speak as it is for a barren woman to have a child. I tell you what though, there's something a barren woman has to do to have a possibility of bearing a child, just like there has to something that I have to do to have the possibility of me laying hands on the sick and see them recover. You see, for me to lay hands on the sick and see them, for that to actually even be possible, at some point in time I'm going to have to do what? I'm going to have to lay hands on the sick. <laughs> right? Right. Sarah's going to have to submit to a conjugal visit by her husband. She's not, God didn't offer her the immaculate, well, not the immaculate conception, that's a, that's a Catholic theological concept, that's not what we're talking about. A virgin birth. He didn't offer her a virgin birth. Okay? Let me ask you this. Did you receive, did you lambano the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Faith. Faith. We take hold of God's power by faith. We take hold of God's power by faith. That's how it's done. You take God as it, at His word. If, if, he, if he says that those who believe in me will speak with new tongues and cast out demons, then guess what? If I, if I count Him faithful who promised, then I speak in tongues and I cast out demons. Right? Stands to reason. Hebrews 11, 11 again. By faith, 
Even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered the one who had promised was faithful. Was faithful. Amen? So, here's a short list of Sarah's obstacles to her faith. We're told early on she's barren. Genesis 11.30. Okay. Now, we're told, Abram takes his wife Sarai, and we're told in Genesis 11.30 that she's barren. I, I do not believe it went like this. Um, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Uh, yeah, yeah, what is it, sir? Um, well, you know, you asked me to marry you, and I, I, I'm good with it. You just got to know something. What's that? I'm not fertile. I can't have kids. Well, how do you know that? <laughs> Well, it, you remember Nahor, my brother? No, it didn't go like that. Do you understand? How in the world did Sarai figure out she was barren? Because she didn't have kids for a while. She time. didn't have. They were married. They were doing what married couples do, and there were no babies. I was thinking about this because I've lived through this. You know, I mean, I had young kids, and we were, we were extremely cautious of how we talked about it. But at some point in time, when you're talking about redemption, you, you've got to come to the reproductive process because we're talking about a virgin birth. I mean, it, the sub, for there to be faith in Christ, the subject of sex has to come up. Imagine that. How real is our God? She was barren. Furthermore, she knew it. Yes, sir. For the kids, since you focus on the kids, I tell you the truth. I don't know where I know where it came from. I woke up this morning, you know, those early thoughts you get before you even get out of bed. Uh, my thought was apologetics. The role of man and woman in apologetics. And my thought was, so if we all came out of the pond of slime, how was it that that um evolution decided that it would make a man and a woman and that this would have to happen. I mean, why didn't evolution just decide that it, whatever this creature was that would become man would just lay an egg? Yeah. Just stick with asexual reproduction. It's a tadpole. Yeah. I mean, gosh, evolution was brilliant mm -hmm. that it figured out how to, the, the, the female's process would work and the, yeah. and the male process, and how they would have to actually come, and there would be two different, distinctly different, and they would have to come together in order for this yeah. to happen to create the offspring that wasn't necessary for them to crawl out of the slime in the first place. Yeah. Just an amazing idea. So yeah. my point is, the fact that God, man and woman, and blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply, well, there's obviously a plan in that that evolution yeah. must have come up with. Oh, oh yeah. I, right? There had to have been a uh, natural selection, evolutionary advantage to sexual reproduction, aside from, you know, fun. She was already 65 when they left. She was, now, she was a looker. At 65, Sarai was, like, kidnap-worthy, okay? <laughs> makes you wonder how bad all the other women looked like if, if Abraham's trying to like, write her as his sister because he's afraid all these other guys are just going to come take her. Yeah, that's it. You know, you're like, who was that? I remember... Okay, so, look, I'm 56, and I'm, and I'm still, like, 120% male, so don't misunderstand me. 
But there was a point in time when I was a younger 120% male, okay? And, and so I, I might have been pushing 21. And, and we, were tearing, we were tearing apart offices up in, in downtown Richmond. And I don't know what downtown Richmond is like now. But I, I will testify, because God made law, in 1986... 87. I I had never seen such a density of beautiful looking women as I had seen in downtown Richmond. I, it was you know this country boy was kind of like I thought I'd seen I thought high school was something I was like it didn't matter where you look I I mean gorgeous and so I'm working with this foreman who was one of my mentors in the trade and and. Dave and I got along so well and worked so fast, they never let us work together much. Because um, Actually, he came to me one day and he said, they're splitting us up. I said, why? He said, because we're running the crew ragged. Anyhow, um, hey, we're wearing guys out. So we're, we're working in this office, and um, this lady walked by, and of course now it's, you know, now I understand, but understand that then I was 21. This lady had to be like 60 or older. And she breezed by, and Dave and I both went. I mean, just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, just as fresh as a daisy, just a beautiful woman. And he was like, my, we were both just awestruck. And we both came away with the conclusion that she was well loved. <laughs> but she was. So Sarah, 65, was a looker. Um, she was 65 when they left Haran, and God made the Abram, uh, promised to Abram that he would make him a great nation. That's Genesis 12. We know that they're 10 years apart from Abraham's testimony in Genesis 17, 17. Okay? So she's barren. They've been married for a while. She's now 65. They go to Canaan, and they live in Canaan for 10 years, still no children. So you can see how this goes, right? She's barren. They're in a barren marriage, and then a promise comes from God. Move! I'm just plugging this in. Scripture doesn't say it, but I'm just kind of plugging it in. I'm thinking, you know, okay, so maybe she's thinking, well, maybe now. You know, God's on the move, got a new word from the Lord, we're moving out, we're moving to Canaan. It's a new place, new life. And, and they move and they get to the promised land where God had promised to Abram that he's going to be a great nation. So maybe now, and ten years go by, nothing. Now she's 75. No babies. So from Genesis 12... To Genesis 16. Here are the different promises. Remember, we talked about one flesh. So, promises to Abram, well, they axiomatically include Sarah. I will make you a great nation, Genesis 12, 2. To your offspring, I will give this land, Genesis 12, 7. See, you, you can see Sarah kind of, okay, so we're in the land and it's going to be to our offspring, so now I'm in the land, but a decade goes by, nothing. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, Genesis 13, 16. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
So now it's a vision. It's not just God speaking to him. It's not just a still small voice. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. I mean, he just came out of this. You know, he just came out of this war with Cadillamere and and took his armed servants. You know, armed confrontation to get Lot back and the whole bit. He gets back. God appears to him and says, "Don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Everything's going to be okay." Abram says, "Yeah. What are you going to give me? I don't have any kids." I, I think we're too sanctimonious when we pray. It would it would behoove us to have bold-faced, honest conversations with you know with our God. And I, one of my one of the conversations with my father, which I wish I was bolder though, is when he he came back. Uh, it was after my thirteenth birthday. Anyhow, um, for my birthday, he gave me two records on classical music, and then he said, then he saw my face and he says, "You don't like it, do you?" And and he was upset that he hadn't got something that I liked, didn't mean he didn't get the right thing. You know, but we had that conversation. And then he died, and then those records cured me of insomnia for like five years. Because it was the right gift. I don't have any kids. And I'm going to have to give everything you've given me to, to this guy from Damascus. Abraham knew his wife was barren. You know, it's not like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Abe. Uh, yeah, oh, Tara didn't have that talk with you? <laughs> you don't know how this works? Come here, son. Let me tell you what's going on. I, I, I you know, I, I hate beating a dead horse here, but he understands she's barren. What are you going to give me? I don't have any kids. See, Genesis 15:2 isn't a prayer for a new wife. It's a prayer for his wife. What are you going to do, God? Sarah is not having any babies. I can't tell you how many couples I've talked to when they encounter some obstacle in life, what they come up with is not a prayer for their spouse, but a prayer for a new one. Or a doubt. Well, I must have married the wrong person. You know how you know you married the right person? You're married, You're married to them. <laughs> this is not complicated stuff, folks. It's a prayer for his wife. Do you get that? Do you see that? This is the test, this is the weight and testimony of Scripture. This is the heart of God. One man, one woman, one flesh. He tells the man, all your children. <coughs> Abram's saying, We're not getting children. What's going on, God? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. First it was dust of the earth, and now it's the stars of heaven. And there's so much in all of that that I'm not even going to get into. Verse 6, He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Understand, faith's a journey. We don't get it all right at the first shot. Look at all the reassurances Abram has gone through. Everything God has told him. And then you get, these are all these promises in Genesis 15. Your own son, number the stars, your offspring will be sojourners. Under the fourth generation, I'll bring them out. All these promises of children. And then you get to Genesis 16. 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Where do you think they got her? Well, you know, remember the whole fiasco in Egypt? And, you know, she's his sister, not his wife. And then Pharaoh gives him all kinds of manservants and maidservants. Out of Egypt came Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from having children. It's God's fault that I don't have a kid right now. Go into my servant. It may be that that's how God plans to do it, through surrogacy. And I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After all of that, after all of that, she says, Hey, you want to sleep with my maid? Oh no. Okay. Because he's a guy. Am I making this too real? I see how I read the Bible. <laughs> right? Okay. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Okay? And the product was Ishmael. The product was Ishmael. So, now, I, I have this... Uh, quasi-intellectual hobby that's called Mormonism. I arrived by it honestly. My great-grandfather came on uh, my, my uh, paternal grandmother's side, uh, came to the States on a Mormon ship from England. In any event, when you read accounts from fundamentalist Mormons in plural marriages, what the women testify about plural marriages is it's just nothing but serial adultery. And God is very honest and very real about plural marriages and Scripture. He doesn't overtly disallow it in the Old Testament. He frames it with different laws and regulations. But then He shows the impact of it. He shows... Uh, um, Cain's son's mean of by the flesh trying to propagate more by having multiple wives and murdering his enemies. Uh, he shows all the issues between Hagar and Sarai. All the issues between Leah and Rachel. Uh, I mean, and then you throw in the concubines. You get to David. You get to Solomon who loses his faith. God is very real about what this causes. You think that this situation didn't cause Sarah pain, then you forgot that she's human. It's just that not having a baby was causing her more, so she was willing to let her husband sleep with another woman so she can call a son her own. And I have known women who, who have gone through perhaps not as radical emotional trauma, but have gone through as much physical trauma trying to arrive to fertility through medical intervention and other means. Because we're still the creatures God created. They're not so far away you can't understand what's going on in these people's hearts. Ten years and see, the flesh wants to give us what should only come through faith. God made a promise 
and she was willing to wait and hold out for 10 years in face of that promise. But at the end of 10 years, she opted to take her own measures and Abram was down for it. So he doesn't get a pass. It's not the woman's fault. You know, when Eve offers the fruit to Adam, Scripture doesn't say, and so Eve sold us all down the river. No. <laughs> it calls Adam a traitor to the covenant. One man sinned. It falls on the man. This is the basis. Flesh wanting to give us what should only come through faith is the basis of legalism over faith, and it's the crux of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. I'm going to get through my own effort what God said He would give me through His own grace. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Ah, God hadn't done it, so why don't you take mm, the slave girl and maybe that's how God's going to do it. It's not how God does it. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Through promise. She considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. He's going to jump through these connections so quick. This is Hebraic think at, at, at its best. We're going to go, we're going to jump from Hagar to Sinai to Jerusalem. <laughs> no blink of an eye. One is Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. I mean, no Greek scholar could do this. This is a break. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem which is above is free. We get to Hebrews 12. We're going to start learning about the Jerusalem that's above. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one that does not bear. This is Isaiah 54, which is about God's um, recapturing of Jerusalem, which comes right after Isaiah 53, which is about the suffering servant. Isaiah 54 is the promise of the Redeemer and how Jerusalem will expound her boundaries. Rejoice, O barren one that does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time that he was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, that's Isaac, so also it is now. Has anyone lived in a time where somebody wasn't looking for some sort of peace solution in the Middle East? <laughs> you could look. They've been at each other's throats since, uh, since Isaac was circumcised on his eighth day. Verse 30. But what does Scripture say? <laughs> Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. 
You will not gain your inheritance through legalism. You will not gain your inheritance through works of the flesh. The only way you stand to inherit is to count Him faithful who promised and by faith grab the power to conceive fruit to the kingdom of God. Wow, that was good. Someone should play that back. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, praise God, but of the free woman. Genesis 17. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And then he, and then he pleads for Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael would leave, you know, live before you. God's like, Ishmael is never my plan. You, know, you, you can read the account. But look at his immediate obedience. He tells him, her name's not Sarai anymore, but Sarah. So he calls out and says, shall Sarah. He changes her name that quick. I just, I just saw that. I think that's pretty cool. That even in his distress and his, and his just complete befuddlement of, really God, now? She's 90 years old, I'm 100, and we're going to have a kid now? But he changed her name. It says in that record that he believed God. Anyhow, they said to him, so, so Genesis 18 is the three men show up and, and Abraham looks up and he knows it's Yahweh. This is called a theophany. God showing up in physical presence. And, and so we talk about the oddness of Jesus walking around kicking up dust and saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath and what that must have been like to people who lived then. But Abram's walk with the Lord was such that when God showed up looking like a man, he knew it was God. So he makes him a dinner. In this dinner, he serves him curds with whey and the fatted calf. And they say to him, where's Sarah, your wife? She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent of the door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I mean, if we can't get the point, okay, she's barren, right? She's 90. She's post-menopausal, okay? When, when she was pre-menopausal, she couldn't have kids. Now, the womb is shut down. She's old. Get it? So Sarah laughed to herself. <laughs> yeah, all right. After I'm worn out, <laughs> after I'm worn out, I just, it just makes me laugh because this translation makes me laugh. This, this worn out is like, now I'm old, you know, worn with age. But I think, okay, we've been trying this for a while. <laughs> you know, I'm a bit worn out now. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, in, and I'm married to the old dude. We're going to have fun. That's Larry's translation. Right? After I'm, after I'm worn out, and my Lord is, she called him Lord, and my, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have pleasure? You know, each phase in, in life, there are challenges physically. You know? Menopause is a challenge in a marriage. Postmenopause is a challenge in a marriage. 
You just got to walk through it. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Let us there laugh <laughs> and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I could have given you a baby when you thought she was barren, but you would have just said, Oh, I can have kids now. I could have given you a baby when you were like going through menopause, but you could have said, Oh, well, that was just a fluke. So I waited a while. So you wouldn't misunderstand where it came from. <laughs> Is anything too hard for the Lord? God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't give you a promise and just put you in a place where it was absolutely impossible for you to receive it unless you actually believed it. Like he wouldn't deliver you from slavery and then walk you out with a whole bunch of wealth and put your back to a sea and charge an army down your throat. I mean, God wouldn't do something like that, would he? Not repeat. He, you know, not repeat. He wouldn't say, hey, look, if you believe on me, you'll never die. Oh, by the way, you got to watch me die an excruciating death and then wonder if I'm ever coming back. He wouldn't do that, would he? Is this your father you're dealing with? Okay? Disappointment is just his invitation to have more faith. That's all. The Lord said to Abraham, So why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And it's going to happen. But Sarah denied, so I didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so human, right? It's just so real. This is the Bible. I didn't laugh. <laughs> he said, no, no, you laughed. You laughed. Sometime after that laughter, somewhere in there, she grabbed. Somewhere in there, she took. Somewhere in there, it finally sunk, and she had faith to conceive. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's the Hebrew word palau, which means to be marvelous, to be extraordinary, be beyond one's power to do, to do wonderful acts. These are all from Vine's definition of the word. It's based on the noun for wonder or marvel. It's too hard, sounds too mundane. Another translation of this, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? You know, that's, this is exceedingly abundantly above category. Would you like a car? Well, that'd be nice if it ran. How about if it was brand new and you have to, they didn't have to pay for it? Well, that'd be pretty great. How if it was brand new, you didn't have to pay for it, and it was a luxury vehicle? That would be wonderful. How about if I gave you three of them? <laughs> it's used primarily with God as the subject, expressing actions that are beyond the bounds of human powers or expectations. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all, we can ask or think. You know, this is to uh, image bearers who he created that can imagine the impossible. God wants to trumpet. This is why he has to go to such extraordinary measures to make sure you didn't get it. And <laughs> he gave it to you. Any good? Yeah. Psalm 40, verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds. That's that word, palah. Your wondrous deeds. <clears throat> Excuse me, and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Genesis 21, <clears throat> verse 1. 
The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I just think of it. A barren, old, postmenopausal woman had a baby and nursed him. I mean, it would be a wonder, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's great. Why are you, why are you nursing your great grandchild? It's my son. You're kidding? No, <laughs> pretty wild, right? Hebrews eleven, verse eleven and twelve. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive, even though she was past the age. Postmenopausal, right? Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, <clears throat> came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of the sand by the seashore. Amen? Woohoo! Amen.